0: introduction welcome to the Glendakin Heritage Trail this audio guide will bring you on a journey to discover the story of this fascinating town along our journey we will encounter echoes of the past that is so present here in Glenaukan and we will hear the stories of the people who helped to shape the town throughout the ages, the community spirit, strength and warmth of the people have helped to make Clendorkin a special place to live and visit. Today, Clendorkin is a suburban satellite town situated just 10 kilometres from Dublin's city centre. However, despite its proximity to the capital, Clondalkin has always retained its own unique character. The town is situated on the banks of the River Camac, one of the four tributaries of the Liffey, and the river has played a key role in its history. Situated on a height between the mountains to the south and the wide estuary of the Liffey to the north, the landscape of this area was ideal for settlement. This advantageous location attracted Ireland's first farmers during the Neolithic period approximately 5,000 years ago, and people have chosen to live here ever since. The town gets its name from the Irish Dolcoin, which is thought to translate to Dolcan's Meadow, though who Dolcan may have been has long since been lost to history. Clondalkin rose to prominence with the foundation of a monastery in around 600 AD. The monastery is associated with St Cronon, who is also known as St Mughour, he is commemorated in the town with many places, schools, and groups named in his honour. The monastic settlement was located in the heart of modern Clondalkin, and the ancient annals contain a number of references to this flourishing monastery up until the 11th century. A fragment of a 9th-century manuscript called the Mass Book of Clondalkin is preserved in Karlsruhe Library in southwest Germany. The wonderful round tower is the striking legacy that we have from that time and it stands as a testament both to the status of the monastery and the skill of the people who built it over a thousand years ago. As the oldest visible landmark in the town, we will begin our journey there. The Round Tower Clondorkan Round Tower is believed to be one of the oldest and best-preserved round towers in the country. Round towers like this one here are thought to have been constructed in around the 9th to 11th century, making it likely to be over 1,000 years old. As it is believed to be one of the first round towers to have been constructed, Our tower in Klendorken was built using a rough limestone, in contrast to some of the later examples that typically have a smoother finish. The tower stands proudly overlooking the village below, with the peak of its conical cap at a soaring 27.5 metres high. With a diameter of just over 4 metres, it is narrower than most. An archaeological investigation of another round tower at St Canis' Cathedral in Kilkenny revealed despite their height, these towers often stand on the shallowest of foundations. However, as they have withstood the Irish weather for over a thousand years, the architects certainly knew what they were doing. The Round Tower of Clendalkan is just one of 65 towers which remain on the island of Ireland today in varying degrees of preservation and one of only four left in County Dublin. Round towers are not found anywhere else in the world apart from two in Scotland and one on the Isle of Man. Some believe that Irish monastic pilgrims may have been inspired by similar but smaller bell towers seen in Europe which in turn had been inspired by Muslim minarets used to call the faithful to regular worship. The Klendalken Tower contains six windows. The four windows of the top storey each face a cardinal point, north, south, east and west. No stone steps were constructed in the interior of the tower. Instead, wooden ladders were used to reach each of the six floors. A most unusual feature of this tower is the very pronounced buttress, or supporting structure, at the base of the tower. The buttress is constructed using different stone to the main tower, which suggests that it was added at a later date. A series of steps cut into the buttress in the late 19th century leads to an entrance constructed from large granite stones. As in all round towers, the entrance was built facing the church. It is positioned at a height of four metres from the ground in order to deter attackers from entering. The doorway was also used as a platform from which the priest could preach and the founder's relics could be displayed. Traditionally, it was believed that the primary purpose of round towers was for defence, particularly during Viking raids of the 9th and early 10th centuries. However, this has long been discounted as their primary purpose, not only as the majority of surviving towers post-date the Viking raid period, but also as the towers' wooden floors would have been highly susceptible to fire. However, the early medieval period was a tumultuous and often violent time, and we do know that the monastery was raided on a number of occasions. It is recorded in the Annals that the monastery of Clendorkyn was attacked by the Vikings in 832, who later settled in the area and built a fort known as Donaulik. However, the Vikings were not the only danger to an Irish monastery. Clontocan was attacked by Irish tribes from Leish in 862, who celebrated their victory by exhibiting a hundred heads of those they had slaughtered in the raid. The monastery suffered another attack by Brian Boru in 1014 on his way to the Battle of Clontarf, and again by rival monks from Talla in 1076. While the monks may have used the tower as a temporary place of refuge during these attacks, it is now believed that the primary function of Ireland's round towers was that of a belfry. The monks' annals almost always refer to the towers as Clighiach, or bell house. More importantly, the towers were symbols of prestige, power and wealth, which housed the monastery's treasures and its relics. Some have theorized that the towers were also used as scriptoria, where monks wrote, copied and illuminated their manuscripts, although the small windows of many of the towers may not have provided enough light for this purpose. In truth, the towers probably served a number of functions, with the symbolic prestige being a key reason that they were constructed. At a time when most buildings in Ireland were low wooden structures, a soaring round tower built of stone would have been a highly visual landmark, allowing pilgrims to know that a holy place where they could find shelter and sanctuary was nearby. St John's Church A church has stood on this spot since St Cronon first founded the monastery here in around 600 AD. The ecclesiastical enclosure in which the monastery was situated can still be identified today in the curving street pattern of Tower Road and Orchard Road. Like almost all early Christian churches, it would have been built on an east-west axis with the altar facing both Jerusalem and the rising sun. The original church was replaced by a larger early medieval church, followed by yet another church built in the 13th century that was said to be one of the finest in County Dublin. Part of the early medieval church in the form of an upstanding column can still be found in the churchyard. Two medieval granite crosses also remain in the churchyard today. Time has smoothed the edges and the carvings of these beautiful stone sculptures which depict both a Latin and a ringed cross. Along the boundary to the right of the existing church is a large granite baptismal font which may date back to the original monastic settlement. The distinctive graves of two 17th century Catholic priests can also be located along the rear wall of the churchyard. In 1780, a new church was built to replace the badly deteriorating medieval church. This is the small, elegant church which you see before you today. The work was undertaken by the Board of First Fruits, a body of the Church of Ireland which was funded by a levy on the clergy. Designed by Joseph Welland, the church was built on a north south axis, perhaps because this afforded it a better view from the street and also differentiated this new church from the earlier medieval one. The interior would have been relatively spartan when the church was originally built, but over the years it has accumulated a variety of memorials to important parishioners. At the time of construction, the Church of Ireland placed great emphasis on reading the Bible aloud, and in order to afford good reading light for this purpose, no stained glass was originally inserted in the windows. As church practices changed, memorial windows were erected in the late 19th and early 20th century. Perhaps the most beautiful of these is the stained glass memorial dedicated to the local men who fought in World War I. The glass depicts a fully armoured soldier, raising his sword in victory as a beautiful set of red wings spread out behind him. Church Terrace and the Old Schoolhouse A fine terrace of four stone cottages and an old schoolhouse sit alongside St John's Church on Tower Road. Reverend David John Reed built St John's Primary School in 1870. We know from school records that the school was connected to electric light in 1941 at a cost of 9 pounds and 10 shillings. Due to increasing numbers A new school was built behind the original building in 1963. This building has since been extended and functions as a mixed primary school today, with an average annual intake of hundred pupils. The Terrace of Houses, known as Church Terrace, was built by Reverend Reed in 1880 as alms cottages for destitute widows. The houses went on to be privately rented, but the living space would have been quite cramped with two families in each house, one family living upstairs and one downstairs. According to church records, the tenants during the 1880s did not last long in the almshouses. This may have been due to the fact that they didn't comply with church rules. We know that by 1920, the system of room letting had lapsed and tenants rented a whole house as they do today. In 1954, the rent on number three in the terrace was one pound per week, and it had no electricity. The houses are now listed on the record of protected structures, and a limestone plaque in the center of the terrace commemorates Reverend Reed. Church of the Immaculate Conception and the Presentation Convent. The site for the Catholic Church of the Immaculate Conception and the adjoining presentation convent was purchased for the sum of £300 by the parish priest, Father John Moore, in the 1850s. It is recorded that when Father Moore first proposed the building of the church, it was responded to, in a manner unprecedented in the annals of chapel building in Ireland. Certainly, a large sum of money was pledged with many parishioners donating 50 to £100 pounds each to the project. However, the scheme received its primary financial backing from the Kalbeck family of Moyle Park House, which now houses a secondary school for boys. The Kalbeck family were renowned for their generosity. They distributed beef, tea, sugar, bread and coal to the poor and had water pumped from the nearby St. Bridget's Well into village homes. William Calbeck, a prominent barrister, came to Moyle Park in 1780. Though a Protestant himself, William divided the rent from his many properties equally between the Protestant and Catholic churches for the relief of the poor. William's daughter-in-law, Elizabeth, founded and ran a school for young girls in the gate lodge of the family's estate for 30 years. This tradition was carried on by her daughter, Anne Calbeck, for a short time before her death. In her will, Anne left the enormous sum of £2,000 to go towards the education of young people, and this money was used for the construction of the church and convent. The buildings were designed by the noted engineer and architect William Francis Calbeck, a nephew of William Calbeck. They were reported to have cost £12,000 to build. They are handsomely designed in the Gothic Revival style and constructed from locally quarried limestone. The foundation stone was laid in July 1857 by the Archbishop of Dublin and a container was placed under the stone containing coins with the imprint of both Pope Pius IX and the reigning Queen Victoria, along with an inscribed parchment. The church was completed in August 1862 and dedicated to the Immaculate Conception and to St. Killian. Father Moore then set about finding an order of nuns to run the school. In a letter to the Mother Superior of the Presentation Convent, Carlo, Father Moore tells her that he is ready this moment to receive any community of the Presentation Order who will take charge of the education of our poor children. I have no means for the support of the nuns. All I can give is a convent as nice as there is to be found anywhere in Ireland. The nuns accepted Father Moore's invitation and so began the Presentation Sisters' long and successful tradition of education in Clondalkin. Starting with an intake of 200 students in 1857, the increasing annual intake of primary pupils necessitated many expansions and the construction of new buildings during the 20th century. All of these schools were built on the original 12-acre site purchased with Anne Kullbeck's generous donation in 1857. An unusual feature of the church is the beautiful stained glass window which sits over the high altar. Installed in 1857, its designer, Thomas Early, decided to honour the patron saints of the parish and the Catholic Church rather than depict a biblical scene. Moving from left to right, we see St. too who was an archbishop and is patron of the Dublin Diocese, then Mary, the mother of Jesus and patron saint of the parish. She is shown with the moon under her feet and wearing the crown of twelve stars. This is the traditional way of depicting Mary as the Immaculate Conception. The third section shows Saint Joseph, patron saint of the Universal Church, holding a rod with lilies growing from it. He is seen as protector of the parish. Finally, we see St. Patrick, patron saint of Ireland, wearing a green cloak. In his right hand, he holds a shamrock, and under his feet is a dying snake. Outside, the wonderful ornamental archway at the entrance to the site at the New Road was erected in 1891 to commemorate the Golden Jubilee of Father John Moore the parish priest responsible for the building of the church and convent. Round Towers GAA Club The Round Towers Club is home to the GAA, or the Gaelic Athletic Association, Inclan Celebrated as one of the great amateur sporting associations in the world, the GAA is a vital part of Irish life and plays an influential role in Irish society, which extends far beyond the basic aim of promoting Gaelic games. The association was founded in 1884 by a group of Irishmen who believed in the importance of establishing a national organisation to make athletics more accessible and to revive traditional sports and pastimes. Within six months of the foundation of the GAA, Clubs, such as the Round Towers, began to spring up all over Ireland. It is said that several names were originally suggested for the Clendorkan Club, but it was only when the founding father of the GAA, Michael Cusack, passed through the village and pointed to the Round Towers stating, there is your name, that it was finally agreed. Members would meet in each other's houses and the games would be played in local fields or in the Presentation Convent grounds after the club was first set up in 1884. By 1918, £75 had been raised to purchase land from the Calbeck Estate and to erect a clubhouse. More recently, additional lands were purchased by the club on Monastery Road for the construction of purpose-built playing fields. St. Bridget's Holy Well as you will see, St. Bridget's Holy Well on Boot Road is still highly revered and well-kept by the community in Clendorkan. One of thousands of holy wells found around Ireland, the veneration of naturally occurring springs and wells most likely began as a pagan tradition which was later Christianized. St. Bridget's Feast Day is celebrated in Ireland on February the 1st. This is also the first day of spring, and the ancient pagan festival of Imbolc, meaning in the belly in Irish, referring to the new lambs in their mother's wombs. It is a day when both Christians and pagans celebrate this shared deity, and the much anticipated changing of the seasons. Traditionally, the community from the village would gather at St. Bridget's Well after dark, with lighted candles, singing hymns, and reciting the rosary. The community marked the day with a four-hour pilgrimage along a historic route through green spaces from the centre of Dublin to the Holy Well in Clondalkin. As with all Holy Wells, it is said that its water has curative powers for a variety of illnesses. Local folklore suggests that if a young girl with an eye ailment dips a rag in the water, wipes her face with it, and then ties the rag, or clutie, to a tree, will be cured. You will see that rags and other items continue to be tied to the tree here today as local people express their faith in St Bridget's ability to answer their prayers. The importance of the well to the community can be noted in their careful maintenance of it over many generations. The stone structure around the well dates from 1761 The railings were donated by workers from Clondorkan paper mills in the 1940s, and the statue of Our Lady was donated by local woman, Mary O'Toole. South Dublin County Council undertook some restoration work on the well in 1995. Sadly, due to road widening in the 1990s, the water flow was diverted, and the well is now dry. It is believed that Unbaptized infants are buried in the area close to the well. The land was once owned by William Calbeck, and a lease from 1843 records a burial ground for perches, a perch being a measure of length equal to about five meters. Unmarked burial places for unbaptized infants, known as Killini in Irish, are common throughout Ireland, as it was once cruelly forbidden to bury them. In consecrated ground Nearby you will find a garden that commemorates the 1916 rising Tully's Castle The small but lovely tower on Monastery Road is the remains of what is thought to be a 16th century castle It is known locally as Tully's Castle, due to the family name of its 18th and 19th century owners. The remains consists of a tall, narrow tower approximately four metres in width and part of an adjoining structure. The tower's window openings are all narrow, and most of them are now blocked up. Although its crenellations are damaged, enough of them remain to show that they were of the Irish stepped style. A row of weeper openings can be identified at roof level, which allowed for water drainage. The tower now forms part of the garden wall of a modern house. The tower seems too small to have been a residential structure, so it has been suggested that it was associated with a much larger castle, which no longer exists, perhaps housing the stairs or guardrobe toilet. It may once have been part of a series of castles which were built to protect the Pale, which was the defended area around Dublin that was directly under English rule in the Middle Ages. Unfortunately, there are very little historical records available about the tower. A local legend tells that Tully's castle was once occupied by a beautiful Irish woman called Betty O'Tullock. At that time, a small army company were stationed in Clondorcan under an English commander, William de Bowler. The army garrison often visited Tully's castle, and when William met Betty, he fell deeply in love with her. Unfortunately, it was unrequited, as Betty had already fallen in love with the Leinster chieftain, Shauna Lachlan. One evening, Betty invited the two men to a banquet at her castle. William is reputed to have had too much to drink, and he proposed to Betty in public in front of her Irish lover. In a rage, O'Loughlin challenged de Bowler to a duel at nearby Dean's Wrath the very next day. De Bowler never turned up, so O'Loughlin left Dean's Wrath. But on his journey home, he was ambushed and killed by de Bowler and his forces. De Bowler then rushed to Tully's castle in victory to claim Betty as his own, but she was so angry when she heard her love had been murdered that she stabbed and killed the English commander with the dagger. Betty was then killed in the ensuing fight. To this day, it is said that Tully's castle is haunted by her ghost as she is eternally searching the ruins for her murdered lover, Sean O'Loughlin. This legend has been disputed by historians but still lives on in local law. Clondocan Cinema The early 1900s saw an explosion of film production in America, and soon cinemas began to spring up all over Europe. With the backing of Italian friends, the famous writer James Joyce established Ireland's first cinema, the Volta Electric Theatre, in Dublin in 1909. Soon, cinemas were being opened all over the country, and by 1956 there were no fewer than 56 cinemas operating across Dublin city and its surroundings. The big screen was brought to Clendorkin in 1939 by the owners of a chain of cinemas based in Leash. Teaming up with the local Ging family, an old bus depot on Main Street was converted into the Tower Cinema. The 350-seat cinema opened with the film Mystery of the Wax Museum, starring Lionel Atwell. There was a change of programme every night in the early years, and people came from the surrounding areas to enjoy the films. The social nature of cinema going, and the liberal cultural messages of the American films had a liberating effect on their Irish audiences, much to the alarm of some. Instead of visiting and storytelling, there are cinemas and night walking, often with disaster to virtue," commented Bishop Thomas Gilmartin in 1928. A worldwide decline in cinema going throughout the 1960s and 70s was reflected in Ireland partially due to the increasing affordability of television sets from the 1950s onwards. Sadly, Shout at the Devil was the last film shown at the Tower Cinema before it closed in May 1977. The building was later converted into retail spaces. Mount St. Joseph In 1813, the Carmelite brothers founded the monastery of Mount Saint Joseph on farmland at Monastery Road in Clondalkin, and later opened a fee-paying school for young boys. The great political leader, Daniel O'Connell, became vice-president of the school's fundraising committee and also laid the school's first foundation stone. The school developed an excellent reputation, and by the 1830s it had over 200 boys in attendance from all over the country. Indeed, the brother of the King of Belgium and a future Archbishop of Toronto were among the school's first students. However, aware of the poverty which was rampant in Ireland at that time, the brothers also opened a free school for those from poorer backgrounds. Luke Cullen joined the order in 1838 and took the name Brother Elias. During his time teaching in Clondalkin. Cullen transcribed a remarkable collection of folk memories of the 1798 rebellion in counties Wexford and Wicklow. While most were written on school copybooks, many notes were also written along the margins of school roll books, the backs of letters, and in his pupils' maths books. Copies of Cullen's transcriptions are held today in the National Library of Ireland, Trinity College Library, and in the National Archives. Cullen is buried in the monastery cemetery, his name listed on a memorial tablet among the names of the other monks buried there. Local folklore suggests that sometime in the 19th century, a group of young medical students began digging up and carting away recently buried corpses from the cemetery for the purposes of dissection. The group would creep into the graveyard after dark and dig the bodies out from their graves. They then put the bodies in sacks and hoisted them on the shoulders of some unfortunate passer-by, who had to carry them, sometimes at gunpoint, for many miles. The group became commonly known as the sack To deter this practice, the people of Clendorkin got permission from the brothers to leave their dead in a strongly built vault within the cemetery for one month before burial. The vault was then guarded by relatives so that the bodies could not be stolen. The vault is no longer used today, but its entrance can still be seen within the cemetery. Many locals have also told the tale of having to break suddenly to avoid hitting a hooded monk who crosses Monastery Road near where the school once stood. Some have stopped and tried to pursue the monk, without success. The origin of this ghost, or his first appearance, are unknown. The Carmelites had to vacate the school in 1939, as it became occupied by the defence forces for the duration of World War II. Due to falling numbers at that time, it was decided to close the boarding school. The day school eventually relocated to its present site on Boot Road, which currently caters for 500 pupils. After the war, the Little Sisters of the Assumption ran Mount St. Joseph as the novitiate for their order in Ireland. The buildings were used by the Eastern Health Board for a short period in the 1980s and were finally demolished in 1988. The only remaining evidence of the monastery today is the small cemetery on Monastery Road. Unfortunately, the cemetery fell into disrepair in more recent years but Clendork and Tidy Town's volunteers undertook cleaning work in 2013 It is now on South Dublin County Council's list of protected structures. Clondawken Library One of the most attractive buildings found in the village is Clondawken Library, which was designed by T.J. Byrne in 1912. Byrne was an English architect of Irish descent who designed many of the attractive council cottages of brick and granite that you can see in Clondawken today. Byrne also oversaw the reconstruction of both the Four Courts and the Custom House in Dublin after the Civil War, and he also oversaw the design for Dublin's new airport in 1939. Byrne designed Clendalkin Library in the arts and crafts style. This sought to move away from the neoclassical style and the influence of industrial production towards a more simple, traditional and craft-based approach to architecture. The library was built on land donated by the brothers from Mount St. Joseph Monastery. Its design incorporates elements of both church and castle design, alluding to the strong aesthetic impact of both types of buildings on the village. The strong visual impression of the library is heightened by the contrasting use of red brick and granite finishes and by the horizontal window design set against the vertical red brick buttressing. The library was founded by the Carnegie Trust, which was responsible for the building of thousands of libraries around the world at the turn of the 20th century. Of Scottish descent, Andrew Carnegie had amassed a huge fortune in the steel industry and the railroads in America. Upon making his fortune, Carnegie became involved in many philanthropic activities, including library building. The first libraries were built in communities in which Carnegie had a personal interest, such as his hometown in Scotland in 1883. But as his fortune burgeoned from the late 1890s, he extended his library-giving programme both at home and abroad. By 1929, the Carnegie Trust had funded the development of over 2,500 libraries in countries including the United States, Canada, Britain, Ireland, Australia, the Caribbean, Fiji and New Zealand. Carnegie donated over £170,000 to the building of 80 libraries in Ireland. 62 of which still survive today. In the years before the Tower Cinema opened in 1939, films were shown in the library and it became a social hub for the community of Clondorkin. In 1970, the library was refurbished by Dublin County Council and opened on a full-time basis. It now has over 25,000 books on its shelves and it is still an important part of life in Clondalkin. Oras Cronon Cultural Centre. Oras Cronon, or the House of Cronon, is named after the saint who founded the settlement in Clendorkin. It is a volunteer-run centre providing Irish language cultural events and courses for the community. Located in the beautiful surroundings of Orchard House, the centre was founded in 1972 by a group of local people, or Muncher Cronon who have a love of Irish language and culture. The motto of the Centre is Gaeilil an or Irish in our time, and it aims to encourage an increased use and enjoyment of the language by the people of Clondalkin and further afield. Oris Cronon provides a range of weekly classes in Irish dancing, Irish language and traditional Irish instruments. At the weekends, traditional Irish music sessions are held in the bar. The wonderful Georgian house and surrounding Three Acres is also used as a concert and wedding venue, a meeting centre and for a host of other community activities. An Irish-speaking preschool and a primary school are also located on the grounds of the house. Once the children walk through the gates, Irish is the only spoken language. Local tradition holds that a yew tree in the grounds has been growing here since the year 1014, the year in which a great battle took place between the locals and Brian Baru. Oris Cronon was previously known as Orchard House, as it was built in the 1820s by William Colbeck beside an orchard, hence the name of the house and of the road. The house passed to at least two further generations of the Colbeck family, but the census tells us that the Ponsonby family were the occupiers of the house in 1911. The house was sold a number of times before it was bought by Dr. Christopher Cusack in 1955, who sold it to Muncher Cronon in 1989, with the proviso that the house would not be demolished but conserved. Dr. Cusack had come to work in Clondalkin paper mills in 1937 and rose to the position of Managing Director before his retirement in 1978. The paper mills had been established in the early 19th century by Thomas Seary on a site beside the Kamock River. The clean, fresh water of the Cammock was ideal for paper-making, and the mill thrived. It changed hands many times over the years and in 1913 was bought by the Becker Company who owned paper mills all over the world. Business boomed during the First World War as all British mills had switched to war production. However, after the war, the market declined and the mill closed in 1922. 14 years later, it reopened under the name Clondalkin Paper Mill. It thrived for nearly 50 years until the recession of the 1980s led to its final closure in 1987. Plendalkan was also an important centre for the production of gunpowder for a period of about 100 years from 1716 to 1815. Gunpowder mills on both the Corkic Estate, just south of the village, and on the Colbeck Estate provided employment for many local people at the time. The mills were regarded as a nationally important centre for the production of gunpowder and by 1787 Colbeck's mills were the sole supplier of gunpowder to the English army in Ireland. Gunpowder had many uses. Not only could it be used militarily, but it was also used as a blasting agent for mining and an explosive on construction sites. Explosions were a relatively common occurrence with the manufacturing of gunpowder. It was a hazardous process which required a site to be sufficiently large and isolated from populated areas. However, An explosion in 1787 caused the death of two local people and destruction as far away as Dublin City, where it was said that tremors were felt in Capel Street and chimneys on Usher Street fell down. Locally, the blast caused buildings in the village to collapse, killed animals in the field, fish in the river and even caused the Great Round Tower itself to sway. Round Tower Visitor Centre. Clondalkin welcomed the newest addition to its cultural and tourism offering with the opening of the fantastic Round Tower Visitor Centre in 2017. Following a 3.5 million euro investment from South Dublin County Council, the historic Round Tower was enhanced with an interactive interpretive centre, a monastic garden, craft shop and cafe. The centre tells the story of over 1,000 years of Clondaukan's fascinating history, beginning with its early medieval monastic origins through the arrival of the Vikings and the Normans, the village's part in the 1641 rebellion, and its vibrant milling industry throughout the 18th, 19th, and 20th centuries. This fantastic project was brought about through the hard work and dedication of the Round Tower Heritage Group which was composed of representatives from several Klondorkan groups, including the History Society, Rally Round the Tower, the Tidy Towns Committee, the Chamber of Commerce, the Camera Club, Boris Cronon, and the Round Tower GAA Club. The visitor centre is connected to the tower itself through the wonderful monastic garden, which was developed on local county council-owned land. Forty locals participated in a volunteer tour guide programme and now provide tours of the centre in a number of different languages during peak tourism periods. Visitors can enjoy not only their wealth of knowledge but the warmth and humour of Glendorkin's proud locals. The exhibition is family friendly and entry is free of charge. Conclusion Thank you for listening to this audio guide about the fascinating history of Klondorken. We hope you have enjoyed hearing about the village's development from a small and rural monastic site to a thriving medieval village and its later industrial expansion into the wonderful place that it is today. This audio guide was produced by Abarta Heritage in conjunction with Klondorken Round Tower Heritage Group. We would like to thank South Dublin County Council, and the Endeavour Grant, and the sponsors of our companion heritage trail brochure, Glendalkan Credit Union, Rally Round the Tower, Aras Crona on Innad and, and Glendalkan Chamber of Commerce. To hear more stories from great heritage sites across Ireland, please visit abartaheritage.ie. As we say in Irish, G'nnairí an boher May the road rise to meet you.